Omega Medical Education Podcast listeners. This is Kevin Eva, the editor-in-chief of the journal. Today, from weather that seems to be gloomy both here and in Scotland, where I'm connected with Maeve Coyle, who's a PhD candidate in the Aberdeen Curtin Alliance, University of Aberdeen specifically being the Center for Healthcare Education Research and Innovation, and Curtin University is in Perth, Western Australia. We're going to be discussing a paper that Maeve and her co-authors have coming out in the July issue of Medical Education entitled Meritocratic and Fair, the Discourse of UK and Australia's Widening Participation Policies. Welcome and thanks for taking the time to chat. No problem. Hello. Just before we started recording, you were telling me that it's in the last year that you've backed Aberdeen from Perth, Australia, and given that your PhD program is a collaboration between the two universities, it seems most natural to ask you to start there and help our listeners understand the context in which you're working and how you came to make this connection between Australia and the UK. Sure. I was a student of Aberdeen already, actually, and I actually have a master's in public health, and that was kind of my interest, and especially issues around equity and sort of worked in collective advocacy programs in Scotland for a while and I suppose the thing that interested me most about of course it was about fair access in education but what that meant for kind of you know public health and outcomes and I didn't know much about Australia I'd never been to Australia to be honest at the time I didn't know much about it at all and so found this sort of whole you know discussion around social mobility and quite interesting so And actually, the project to begin with was very centred around looking at student experiences. But we wanted to take a little bit of a step back and look at the bigger picture, which is how we came up with the thought of doing really a a document analysis. And recent policy has brought to the fore um, higher medical education sort of in both contexts. And obviously, the focus was medical education, but you can't really look at that standalone from higher education as well. So it involved looking at both higher and medical education. Just before we get into a little bit more detail about those documents and the specific focus of your project, for the sake of those who are working in places where widening participation isn't a label, what does that mean to you? And what led you to believe that it would be an interesting topic to compare across the two contexts? I suppose it's about more equitable access for people from disadvantaged or marginalised groups. For example, in the UK, that is very much centred around people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds and, and basically kind of equalising or equity of opportunity and finding ways just to widen participation and make access fairer for those people coming into higher medical education. Whereas in Australia, and although equity is also a focus, it's actually kind of more around rural and indigenous backgrounds. And those sort of three pathways in Australia, and they're actually thought of in quite different ways, whereas in the UK, it's kind of this general disadvantaged, more specifically defined, I think, in Australia. Right. And that alone, the different groups that seem to take priority is interesting in the sense of we talk about things like widening participation as policy, as strategy, and can lose sight of the fact that there are a lot of details underlying any given policy and how they're implemented is driven by interpretation and context and everything else. So what were the resources that you thought were best to draw upon to try to help you get some deeper insight into how the term was being used differently in different places? I suppose, well, in terms of this particular project, because it was an international comparison, really, so I thought, where do I begin, really? And the UN Sustainability Goals came to mind. And in terms of being quite a good place to start, in terms of, you know, 
laying out a sort of roadmap, I guess, for um, different countries and nations and how they might approach these things. You know, there was 17 goals, maybe, and you know, numerous targets within all of those. So we, I kind of just worked through and really found the ones that basically were linked to widening participation means in those contexts. So I think workforce diversity, improving healthcare, access to education. I then went on to government websites. I also kind of looked, I guess, at the national regulatory agencies as well for medicine and started looking at medicine specifically. But that's, as I was saying, when I realised it sets more broadly within higher education, certainly in the UK as well. There was very little in terms of specific health legislation documents that really mentioned widening access. As we went on, we decided to only include documents that did refer to medicine specifically and within 10 years. So as you waded through that and tried to glean some insight into how the focus differed across the two places. It sounds like there was some cultural aspects, for lack of a better word, in terms of how people were interpreting and using these notions of widening participation. You comment on how Australia is trying to achieve equity and workforce diversity and how similar widening participation policies in the UK appear to be more about pushing forward the individual and socioeconomic. How did you come to that conclusion that the priorities are so different though on the face they sound to be pursuing similar ends uh, yeah they turned out to be quite different actually so using critical discourse analysis was just a really useful way in terms of really just starting to really look at the language of course within critical discourse analysis there's so much there in discourse analysis as well it's a good way of looking at and analyzing sort of power struggles really and how language can be used to produce and reproduce forces of power really and Certainly within the UK text, it became quite, both partly as well, I had to sort of acknowledge the fact that I'm from the UK. And at this point, I'd never been to Australia either. So I was quite used to, particularly to the way that the UK talked and thought about these things. And it was only when I really started using these different techniques for coding and analysis that really helped me kind of really start to notice the nuances and the differences that were coming out. And in the UK, as you were saying, social mobility is this real driving force behind lifting people out of disadvantage, really, and about access to higher education and access to medical education there too. And this notion of fairness within a meritocracy was really paramount. One particularly interesting thing for me, Australia, very different, much more linked to the drivers around workforce diversity and community and nation building, very much linked to context. And actually, the, you know, the time period we were looking at was just after the global recession, well, very much affected America and Europe. And also it was around about just after the time of the closing the gap targets in Australia, which was obviously really trying to challenge a lot of the poor health and social and educational outcomes for Aboriginal Australians. There was a real focus on individualism in the UK data. At one point, I can't remember which document in particular, but they make reference to the blame game needing to end. They didn't seem to be doing that, sort of calling out medical schools or universities or even individuals themselves what they needed to do and the professions there was a lot of disparity in terms of bringing people together whereas the Australian text definitely talked a lot more about outcomes really and much more driven by public health need in a lot of ways and obviously you know needing more rural doctors is linked to kind of well these affirmative action policies that Australia have around you know, increasing numbers of doctors from rural backgrounds, the idea is that they will work in rural areas. There's no guarantee, but you know, there's evidence to suggest that that will happen. And the same when it comes for Indigenous doctors. It's a bit tricky in the UK because you know, fairness is centred around fairness of raising aspirations and getting people to a place where you know, they get to sort of, you know, you know, they get to be a doctor, they get to be a lawyer, they get to participate at a higher level. 
But there's no major link in terms of the public health drivers in Australia, if that makes sense. It reminds me there are a number of details in terms of tensions that are inherent in the local and global goals in both countries. And it raises the question for me that the outcome that is achieved in both instances might be similar or might be driven by the stated purposes. Is the outcome for the nation building of the social good or is it to bring some of those people who've been historically disadvantaged into more privileged positions? If I were to just put the very blunt so what question to you, why are these data important? What do you think the implications are in terms of these differences that you've observed across the two places? I think it, I sort of hadn't realised two countries, two nations with quite similar educational backgrounds and histories in some ways that could be so different now. And being able to compare them really highlights the sort of differences that are there. That might be if, if I was only looking at one, you know, one and the other separately, those things wouldn't come out as obviously. And I certainly think in terms of higher education and especially medical education being transformational, it makes us sort of call into question, you know, what we're doing and is it working and seeing how these policies actually play out on the ground and discourses. And although you can't make a direct comparison between completely different contexts, I suppose, but I do think it kind of highlighted the differences, I guess, between them. In a way, it just made it more messy. It's more complex than I probably at first thought. And actually, I mean, the work I've continued to do since I sort of done this paper, really, is really questioning, is it all about the cream of the crop and having the people who get the highest grades coming into medicine? Because there's so much nuance and complexity around, you know, it's a very high demand degree, but is getting all A is what makes a good doctor? Obviously, you have to be very smart, but actually to really change the system and really would have to look at a very historically elite and prestigious profession, really. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if we're ready for that yet, or the profession is ready to do that. But there is so much link to prestige and social and cultural capital and these sorts of things that are very, very systemic. It's much bigger than medical education. But starting to think about that, certainly the discourses of Australia and the reasons why we're widening participation there, having such particular outcomes that it's linked towards, I think is a bit more useful having, you know, whereas I think in the UK, what's the end point? And I think that's likely a very good spot for us to end up on because it always seems that things wind up being more complex than we first anticipate when we go into things like this. And so reinforces the value of you having done the work and shining some light on how these seemingly straightforward affirmative action strategies can even be very different depending on where they're implemented and how and for what purpose. So you raised the question in your title of meritocratic and fair clearly the root of the issue. And I'll thank you for drawing our attention to it by letting the readers know again that the subtitle, for those who want to read the details, is The Discourse of UK and Australia's Widening Participation Policies. And you'll find it in the July 2021 issue of Medical Education under the byline of Maeve Coyle, along with co-authors. Thanks, Maeve. Really appreciate your time. Thanks very much.